The O3C Podcast is a proud member of the HyperX Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of the O3C Podcast, coming to you from O3C Games. My name is, you guessed it, Jonathan Dunn, and I'm joined by my two friends, Chris Dow. Parsley, basil and mint. And Minty Booth. A wish for a fish. And we are talking all about video games. Announcement! Announcement! Before we dive into our next round of top 100 list amendments, we want to continue pointing you in the direction of our website, o3c.games, which houses all manner of fun and lovely things for you to enjoy, such as an archive of all our podcast episodes, all of our brilltastic video content, and a whole suite of fascinating, enlightening, and gosh darn entertaining articles, from Chris's lyrical waxings on the games he played in 2021, and his veritable love letter to the video game come installation art project, Duke Smoochum 3D, <laughs> and then we've got Minty's musings on which Pokemon would be an actual realistic travesty if they existed in the real world. Great words from great minds that I I promise you are uh, great reads. We would also like to issue a request. When you've read our amazing articles, please do share one on your social media platforms. Tag us in the post at O3C Games and tag a friend that you think would enjoy the article and we will enter you into a prize draw that we will be conducting in the next couple of weeks. If you want to be eligible for that, then follow us on Twitter and stay tuned for further details. You will not regret it. It's time to tap in with the HyperX Quadcast S microphone. The stunning HyperX Quadcast S features dynamic, customizable RGB lighting, a convenient tap-to-mute sensor, and four selectable polar patterns, so it can broadcast crystal clear audio whether you're gaming, streaming, podcasting, or impressing your remote colleagues and classmates. So what are you waiting for? Join the Quad Squad and tap in today with the HyperX Quadcast S microphone. So here we are, gathered again to talk about uh, another three games that we're going to crowbar into our top 100 lists. When we started our top 100 list countdown three years ago, we drew a line under that list and said, uh, well, we can't we can't just add games in as we go because that will be absolute chaos. <laughs> Inevitably, we've, we've kept track of the games that we've, we've, uh, we've played and loved in those three years that we're now going back and trying to find a way of, of, of making it all add up to 100 because... If something doesn't add up to 100, it's not legal, I believe. I haven't done my research and I'm not qualified, but I'd put my life on it. (laughs) But before we talk about those games, uh, let's talk about what we've been playing in the last week. And we're going to start with Minty's gaming activity of the last week. Have you played more SMTV? Yeah, yeah, I have. Um, I've just unlocked Ant. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 Sorry, I should have I, said I Cat Dealey. Um, Ant's a little bit too uh, a little bit too general of a Oh, word, oh sorry, I'm miles off. I never watched it back in the day either. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? It might have gone over many people's heads as well. SMTV Live was a uh, Saturday morning television magazine show for kids hosted by Anton Deck and Cat Dealey. And uh, SMTV is also the acronym for Shin Megami Tensei 5, as it were. <laughs> 
Thanks for that explainer. We do need to pad out my uh, my, my little section in this first bit because this is literally all I've been playing. I, mean, I haven't really made any worthwhile progress in the game, to be honest with you. Have you seen any more cock? <laughs> I've seen one more cock. Yes. <laughs> so the, the fleshy excrescence of of a penis. <laughs> but good God, I do have in my uh, in my little army of demons the incubus, which, as we all know, is the uh, is the male sex demon. Oh yeah. My dad says that if you have sex with an incubus, you become a <laughs> wizard. <laughs> <laughs> But yes, this the, the incubus is the second creature I've seen with a penis. I thought it was a tail to begin with because it was uh, it was long and spiky. Oh no! But, uh, no, no, it was. I mean, uh, what is a penis if not a tail person? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, I've just been. Gr- <laughs> I've just been. <laughs> I cared for that. I've just been grinding my team together. Oh no! Well, I've been grinding my team oh. and also grinding my team together because the way that you get new demons in this game is by fusion, much like a, a DNA digivolution in Cyber Sleuth. If you smash two demons together and you get uh, you, you you get a new one. So I've got who have I got on my team? I've got. Wooden lady, red fella, and the longest dog I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> what a trio. I love a long dog anyway. Yeah, yeah. I've done so little of the story, but I have gone back to high school as well after enjoying what I thought was going to be like a huge, huge chunk of the game, but it's just the starting area. So Classic JRPG. Yeah. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to try and get a load of story progress done um, in the next few days, and then just chop it up so I've got stuff to talk about for the next few episodes, because I'm sure it's going to be <laughs> huge, incredibly detailed, and... Mulchy. Yeah, mulchy. And then I can just enjoy smushing more de- demons together at my own pace. There we go. I'm having a lovely time with it. It's exactly what I uh, what I like in a JRPG. Grinding, monsters. The movement's good as well. I like the movement a lot. Really nice to control, really nice to play. <laughs> and that's it. Yeah, I haven't actually played anything else. Well, shame on you for only playing one game this week. Mm. But over to me. As expected, I've continued to make slow, granular progress through The Binding of Isaac Repentance. I've been attempting to tackle some of the new challenges that have been added in this new DLC, which are fuck-boning hard. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> weren't ready for that, were you? <laughs> That's the Lord's Day. <laughs> uh, I, I, I just, uh, I, well, I ticked off a fairly easy one where you play as Jacob and Esau, which is the double act characters that you have to somehow try and control simultaneously. And in the spirit of doubling, this challenge gives you the 2020 item to start with both characters. So both characters are firing two tiers at the same time. But here's the twist. And there is a twist. All the enemies are doubled as well. So where one enemy may spawn in a room, two of them shout be there. And uh, bosses as well, you guessed it, doubled as well, including uh, the mum and mum's heart boss battles. But that was kind of fun. And you have access to uh, treasure rooms in that challenge as well, which you usually don't get in a challenge run. So um, that was fine. That was fine. And I've just, as of a couple of hours ago, beaten a challenge that had been giving me a lot of trouble. Uh, The challenge is called Bloody Mary, uh, where you play as Bethany. And her character doesn't collect soul hearts or evil hearts like other characters, which 
they basically act as your your shield health to protect you against uh, red heart damage. But then you also start with this item called Blood Oath, which at the start of every floor hits you and takes all of your red heart health down to half a heart. But what it does do is convert the damage that it's done to you into a boost to your attack and speed. But basically it means that no matter how good you do on a floor, every single floor you start again with one hit and you're dead until you find a heart drop and it's uh it, it, it's it's very it's very tense and i just found i had to keep overriding my autopilot of just like oh I'll just charge into this room it's like actually no if i do that you know and i'm not sort of ready uh, then one hit and i'm dead and uh yeah it got the better of me a lot a lot but i did manage to do it and uh, and and that was really good fun and that was really good fun uh so uh yeah i enjoyed that i've got a couple of challenges left but i feel like i've come i'm coming to a bit of a, a diminuendo with my uh binding of isaac obsession uh because I, i've done most of the post-it notes and the completion marks for the characters that i've sort of enjoyed getting my head around there's a few characters left the tainted ones that are just a pain in the ass that i can't i have just haven't got my head around yet and Oh, so I thought I'd do something a bit different and do these challenges. So yeah, it's a nice way of sort of shaking it up and I probably will get a bit more enthusiasm and, and go back to playing it. So you can continue to enjoy uh, hearing me talk about it every single bloody week. Other than that, I have made a bit more progress in Death's Door, which is continuing to be uh, just a very polished and enjoyable game. I, I haven't had a chance to play it on the TV yet, which I, I'd like to do as, it, as it's, 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 it's a very pretty looking game. But also, I, I, I get this sort of niggling feeling playing it on the Switch that I, I, I would I would probably enjoy uh, playing it at like 60 frames per second in 4K on the PS5. And like, I'm, I'm definitely not some frame rate fucker. Uh, but like, when it comes to anything vaguely Souls-like, having that extra degree of clarity and precision in the increased frame rate does go a long way. But I know that I'm not going to have the time to dedicate to it on the PS5 and the continual wonder of the pickup and playability of the switch means that i'll certainly make a lot more progress with it on there so yeah i i will continue to uh to play to play that on the switch and uh and and, and i'm sure enjoy it but that is that is me i i must say i'm very much looking forward to pokemon legends arceus coming out very very soon and i think that will that will almost certainly sort of fully force my switch out of its sort of isaac coma but we shall see we shall see we shall see Good games abound. There's some exciting games coming out in the next couple of months, uh, especially as the new trailer just dropped for the new Kirby game, which oh, I know yes. you were initially very excited about, Chris. I was a bit worried that it was going to be a bit of a Bell and Wonderworldy type game, although, you know, nothing's ever going to be as bad as that. But I must <laughs> say, those 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 fears and those doubts are, 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 have entirely vanished in the wake of this new trailer because it looks absolutely stunning. It looks gorgeous. It looks varied. It looks fun. It Yeah, it's it's just a game that I'm, I'm, yeah, surprised myself with how excited I've got for it. But therein lies oh, the danger because we all played Mario Golf. Oh, we did, we did, and that was a, a very, a very frustrating release, wasn't it? It was, it was. It really was. We got our fingers burnt there. But uh, yeah. this is Kirby. Whoever got their fingers burnt by Kirby? Look at him, <laughs> Chris. What have you played this week? This week, I have spent a huge amount of time playing Hungry Shark World with Georgia. Right. <laughs> and I think I, I think I mentioned this game at least in passing months and months and months and months back when we were playing it together there. Definitely sounds like something I would have blocked. <laughs> <out>. <laughs> like it's a really simple console port of a mobile game 
and you zip around as a shark and you eat fish and whatever else and it follows the same sort of format as like an endless runner you're just swimming until you can't swim anymore essentially but it tries to give itself a bit more structure with individual missions for each shark character a vague story that wraps around the whole thing unlockable cosmetic bits and hats you know all the stuff that would normally be in that sort of mobile game and we had beat it. We we had beat it back on the Switch a long time back, but we had to put up with hard crashes every hour or so of play. Like the Switch port is not very good. And that was really aggravating. Uh, you know, we, we kept losing progress and everything else. So this time around, we were just inspired to pick up again and we're playing it on the, the PS5, like the PS4 version running on the PS5. And there's no crashes this time, but the performance is still pretty subpar, really, for a game like this, running on a machine that's, <laughs> that's that powerful. But it's there's something fun about it. And it's not a list-worthy game at all. And I think the thing is that the reason I really enjoy this, and I don't know if Georgia has the same feeling or not, it would never not put me in mind of the early stages of our relationship. Because when we were playing it on the Switch, we were still living apart. And I have this really vivid memory of one particular evening that we decided to spend at our kind of respective homes doing our own thing. And then as the clock rolled onwards, it got to about eight or nine in the evening. And I just thought, I don't want to spend the evening on my own. <laughs> and, and I messaged Georgia and said, do you want to come and play some Hungry Shark? <laughs> and it's, it's such a throwaway event in isolation. But it represented that transition between, you know, when you, when you first see someone, you think, you know, the times we are together are nice. And then at some stage it changes to be the times we are not together are not nice. <laughs> yeah. And and suddenly there's like that that shift. And and you know, love is a very odd thing to quantify. But in a strange way, it's these little moments that stick in your memory as potently as like a first kiss or something like that. Because they are these kind of like milestones of when things just feel different. You know, back around that time, we we played quite a few games through together that were much better than Hungry Shark. (laughs) You know, we we played through games like Gree, uh, Brothers, The Gardens Between, Limbo, but none of them feel as pertinent to our relationship for some reason because they weren't the game that made me think I could be playing an almost infinite number of other titles on my own right now, but I want to play this one middling title specifically with you mm. and and i think there's, there's something quite nice about That's that lovely i've also played a decent chunk of an ancient lord of the rings game called lord of the rings conquest oh. so it's something about me at the moment is just bang into licensed tie-ins for whatever reason yeah. when it came out it was an attempt at the time to take the star wars battlefront kind of style of game and apply it to middle earth so you get plonked down into battles from the films. And, and I do say films rather than books because it's clear that the whole thing was very much capitalising on, you know, the Peter Jackson trilogy. Yeah. And it means you're controlling kind of low-level soldiers as well as some of the, the hero characters in, in different times across different battles. You're waging war across a bunch of locations I can't recall or pronounce because I'm, I'm not an obsessive fan. I had played this once before on the Xbox 360 a long time back and then... You know, similar to how I felt about Terminator last week, I just had a weird light bulb moment recently that I thought, I just want to play it again. I want to see if it's fun in 2022. So, you know, as as with Terminator, I got it for about £3 on the, on the PlayStation 3 this time. And I had quite a nice time uh, beating the, the goodies campaign, sort of the, the War of the Ring campaign. And I was just about ready to boot into the alternate history Rise of Sauron campaign, where you just go about murdering hobbits, essentially. But my PlayStation 3 just up and died. <laughs> and I, I am, I'm very, very upset. <laughs> like, I, I bought that particular PlayStation 3 about last summer, because I had one before, but I dug around for ages and I was trying to kind of consolidate the hardware I had in the house. So I looked for one of the, the launch machines that had full PS2 compatibility as well. And they're, they're quite hard to get hold of now. I knew they had a high failure rate, but 
I bought one that had been cleaned up. I did kind of everything I could to mitigate the risks of it breaking. So I'd, I'd had the chips inside it. It's called de-lidding, where they basically take the top off, clean it up, put new thermal paste in, and that should help it kind of stay cool. The one I'd got had already been reballed, which basically means like the heat sink again is taken off the processors, disassembled, and then coated with fresh solder. So all these things should have meant that I had a good chance at, at sticking it out. And yet I've I've come across the same problem. So I'm I'm annoyed. Mm, yeah. <laughs> that, you know, it's it's not only has it, de- it decided to die just prior to being able to give Frodo a little slap, but, you know, at best, it's going to need to be shipped off for a repair or at worst, it could just be dead for good. Mm. You know, it's it's a machine that's approaching what's well, got to be nearly 15 years old now, the, the original PlayStation 3s. And um, yeah, either way, I'm going to be out of pocket and my adventure through Middle-earth is at a temporary close. <laughs> so yeah, we'll, we'll see how we go. Um, it's just, it's going to be one of those things in the back of my head now that really winds me up. <laughs> yeah. So I'll, I'll do a lot of um, a Googling. I'll do a lot of contacting different people and a lot of browsing eBay for, for potential solutions, I think, over the next week or two. But we'll see how we go. So... Those are what we've been playing, but, uh, but what's going into our lists? We'll find out now. Minty. Yes? Please can you tell us what your next amendment is, please, sir? <laughs> All right, yes, I will. So when, uh, when lockdown hit in 2020, we, along with, I think, everybody on Earth, absolutely devoured Animal Crossing, and it kind of devoured us a little in a way. It was It was an escape from our dismal little flat in, and lockdown in general, really. Every morning I'd wake up and I'd hear that nice gentle music from the other side of the bed. And I'd look over and see my wife chatting to Raymond and Wendy and all that. A bright little bit of life for than where we were at that point. I'm not putting Animal Crossing on my list. For shame. Uh, just didn't really click for me, but it's a it's a good reference point for why I love the game that I am going to talk about today. Because it's quite a similar game thinking about it and provided exactly the same comfort that Animal Crossing did to everybody else as my wife and I were weathering the first year of our marriage when the home office decided to make utterly hellish for us. So at the top of my entry, I'd just like to say uh, fuck the home office, fuck the government <laughs> and fuck the violent and racist concept of borders. Agreed. And breathe. Here's a game that's already appeared on someone's list, which I didn't get around to playing until uh, we'd locked in our top 100s about three years ago, which is a mad timescale to think about. If I'd have known we were going to carry on, I would have played a lot less games that take (laughs) hundreds of hours to complete, to be honest with you. But today is one of those massive games that transcends being just a fantastic game and moves up into the realms of being... One of the most impressive gaming projects I've ever had the pleasure of playing. Chris has published a really great article on Duke Smoochum and how it's fast becoming a digital archive of this shit island. <laughs> Duke Smoochum, crucially, uh, for this link between my game and a little plug for other media avenues, is an involved, deep and almost fanatically detailed solo project, just like Stardew Valley, my new oh, addition yeah. to the list. What a game. What an incredible game. Never played it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you can be next. Yeah. I can. Yeah. My first exposure to Stardew Valley was over the shoulder of my sister-in-law, who was playing as uh, as a green-skinned farmer. That's all I remember from from watching her. (laughs) I was pleased to hear from that trusted source that it was good and it was worth playing. I played about 30 minutes of Harvest Moon DS years and years and years ago, 
didn't really get on with it. So I downloaded Stardew Valley, escaped the in-game cubicle job and moved on to the old earth farm, guided by my grandfather's ghost to become a legendary farmer, and more importantly, part of the small yet lively town. It's one of those games that I like to call a, a crossed leg game. <laughs> back when, <laughs> back, you know, back when TVs were smaller and fatter, you couldn't you couldn't get the full experience from a game if you were just sat on the bed or the sofa. So naturally, you'd sit as close as you can to the TV. And most of the time, you're on the floor, you're cross legged, and you're completely immersed in what's happening on a screen. It takes up your entire field of vision. For me, the farming sim is it's quite a complicated genre. I find I like to ponder take my time in a game so the uh, the constant and inexorable march of time puts me a little on edge in stuff like this there's only there's only so much time in the day for me to tend to the farm and you want me to explore the surrounding wilds get to know villagers and fight monsters in the mines like granddad's ghost is coming back in three years to judge my progress it's a it's a little daunting, but the gentle aesthetic, the gentle pace of the game, the lovely music, and the lovely well-rounded characters, uh, they just completely suck you in. And then suck you off. <laughs> an important aspect of these games is pursuing romantic relationships with different characters. <laughs> I don't know if you heard that, but, um, but my wife just shouted, I object to that. <laughs> but yes, an important aspect of such games is pursuing romantic relationships with different characters. Um, everybody in the town has, has, a, has a heart meter that fills up the more you spend time with them, the more gifts you give them, and so on and so forth. And the more hearts you fill up in the meter, the more cutscenes you get, the more character development, the further you take that relationship, the more backstory you get. It's a real treat, but... It's not really one that I've been able to enjoy to the fullest, because every time I try and play this game, Mrs. Minty will inevitably stroll into the front room and say something like, oh, I'm sorry, I can't be Sebastian for you. <laughs> I, I, played, I played this game solidly for a good three months when we first got married, and I still don't know if she's being serious or not. <laughs> I'm not playing it behind her back or anything. And, I mean, I've moved on from it now, but she's coming in when I'm playing Shin Megami Tensei and just saying things like, would you love me more if I was a teddy bear stuffed with skulls? <laughs> the answer is yes. Well, yeah. So Stardew Valley uh, gets that, uh, gets extra points for that, uh, for that, for that legacy <laughs> and for that nice little aspect of our relationship which didn't is, help um, probably that you were trying to marry somebody in the game with the same name as her sister well that's just a coincidence like i i, <laughs> I did i did load up my game uh, before when i started writing this and um i'm trying to date everybody <laughs> I, I'm, I'm trying to get everybody to be my girlfriend and boyfriend at the same time just so i can see all the cutscenes and everything like i don't know I, I'm, I, ugh, I don't like that I've got this reputation as this sort of fictional philanderer. I love my wife so very, very much, and I'd never cheat on you her. With... Farming Lothario, yeah, Farmio. I wouldn't cheat on her with somebody real, somebody that I can't even touch, and is on the other side of a screen. <laughs> ah, but there we go. <laughs> it's yeah, it's 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 a really really lovely game. Do play it if you haven't already, and and support the. The really amazing effort that Concerned Ape has put into this game. It's, it's like I said, it's a one person project. They've done everything. There's a very detailed wiki online where you can have a look, have a look at all the different development logs and all the different arts pieces. Like you can see how, how they started, how all the characters started out and 
all the different tweaks that they had made to their design. Really fascinating. And it's just it's just wonderful seeing the journey that this game went on. <laughs> the literal friends it made along the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really wonderful. Getting it into my list then. I'm taking out this week X-Men Legends. Oh, I knew it was coming. Okay. I knew it was coming. Yeah. <laughs> I remember so little about this game. I don't think I even played that much of it. I just really liked it at the time. But now in terms of placement, like it's it's a masterpiece, isn't it? Let's put it maybe It's above Chirok. Minty, it's above Chirok. Come on. I mean yes, yes it is. Yeah. That, oh thank God. <laughs> that that was yeah, that that <laughs> found that, that was a silly rule to, to make. <laughs> Let's us put it at number forty eight. Ooh. Very nice. There we go. It was at number 40, I think, in my list. It was, yes, yes. It's a wonderful game. I had a great time playing through it. It's, weirdly, it's a game I've played through twice because I played it on uh, my laptop when I had a laptop. And then I picked it up on sale on the Switch when I was over in America, Minty, with you for your wedding. Oh, and yes. I, I played it the entire flight back and uh, and continued to play it. And, and I, I believe probably got got further in it than, than I did before, probably because there have been some updates and, and there's more things to do. And, and and like from what I've seen of like various other bits of coverage on the game, like there's so much in the game that I still haven't explored. Like there's a whole multiplayer side to the game that I don't understand how it works. Well, I haven't, I haven't tried to, to be honest. But um, like you said, it's a masterpiece. It's an extraordinary, extraordinary effort for a one-man project it's it's absurd it's utterly absurd but yeah it is absolutely wonderful and um and i know that it's probably it's it's a game that you probably will never end up playing now chris well you never know you never know you never know but i know that you know you want to be playing lots of things and it's a big um, thing (laughs) it's a big thing and it doesn't have that it doesn't have that thing that animal crossing has where you can sort of do a session and be like oh cool well i'll come back tomorrow and do it because the game is on its own clock so you can go cool awesome i've done everything i want to do today oh and now it's the next day yeah and let's do it again and then it's four in the morning (laughs) so uh yeah but there we go oh what a wonderful game what a wonderful game so my game this week is uh, its one of those games that was a favourite of mine just, just waiting to be played. Um, although pro- probably not the sort of games that would define me today. Uh, recently uh, we're having a chat in the uh, the Patreon-exclusive Discord channel about uh, how, I, how I'm sort of defined by Souls-like games and Metroidvania games. And yet when we made our lists, I'd never played Dark Souls. Uh, I'd never played Bloodborne. I'd never played Hollow Knight. I'd never played Dead Cells. And, uh, you know, so I feel that past me, um, certainly me of like 10 years ago would have been would have been defined by a very different type of game. And and this game is one of them. It's as if someone had gone into my head and said, oh, what game would would uh, would 25 year old Jonathan Dunn like to have? Well, let's take a dash of JRPG, uh, an epic and emotional story, a brilliant and beautiful sweeping soundtrack. Uh, why not? Why not have an element of monster catching to it? Because we know Jonathan loves having monsters in his pocket. And uh, what about the art direction? Well, Jonathan loves the films of Studio Ghibli. So can we get them to do that? Absolutely for sure. Uh, the only thing missing from this, uh, <laughs> the only thing re- missing from this bullet point list of dream game was putting it on a console that Jonathan has, uh, because for a long time, Nino Kuni: Wrath of the White Witch was confined to the PS3. It was. It was. May it rest in peace. So sorry, Chris. <laughs> but that was until it got the port to the Switch in 2019, and. 
unlike some members of this podcast, I didn't need to be asked twice to pick it up as soon as I could. (laughs) (laughs) We must have given you a nudge, Menti, about 50 times at this stage. (laughs) Every sale. Every time. Every time. Please, Menti, please. I haven't got time. Well, not with all the Digimoning and long dog cocking and stuff you're doing. (sighs) You're absolutely right. It's it's difficult to squeeze this one in. Mm. Now, I I remember yearning after this game when it was first revealed back in... 2011, which is mad that that's 11 years ago, the video game design knowledge of the chaps at level five and the artistic design chops of the good lads and lasses at Studio Ghibli, it just made it the most inviting game and so beautiful. And honestly, I didn't know anything more about it than those two names on the credits until I literally got round to playing the game eight years later. Now, I think I mentioned when I was talking about Golden Sun, how... Uh, I always hope that when I play or when I start to play a new JRPG that that I always kind of want the mechanics to be fairly simple like they were, you know, back in today. (laughs) Basically what I want is Shining the Holy Ark with, you know, turn-based battles, just basic physical attacks, magical attacks, bish bash bosh. I don't yearn for the complexities of of, of the menus and and spreadsheets that, that Minty does, but also when I do get my head around more advanced mechanics in games like, you know, Octopath Traveler or Persona 5 or Monster Hunter Stories, I do absolutely love them and get fully buried in them. But Nino Kuni does have fairly simplistic mechanics going on with, you know, a few slightly modern twists, but but always keeps it quite easy and straightforward to get your head around. And, and again, that just made the game even more inviting. I was even initially disappointed that there was this monster catching side to the game because I was like, oh, oh, I can't be bothered to fill out another monster decks. But, you know, that feeling fell by the wayside fairly swiftly as it became just another source of enjoyment in the game. Now, I feel that the game in many ways is the archetype of a JRPG. You know, you play as a little boy transported into a magical fantasy land. There's different uh, towns to go to, different party members to recruit, big overworld map to traverse, monsters to fight, friends to help, magic, redemption, whimsy, wisdom. Like, you can't get any more JRPGE than this. And the writing in the game is absolutely stellar. Yeah. Like, it needed to have that because of, of, of where the game was coming from. It needed to measure up to the sort of stuff that you would expect from Studio Ghibli. And to be honest, even level five. Like, it's got a brilliantly clear message at the heart of the story about trying to purify people's hearts and kindness and generosity being the solution to the ills of the world. And the story is helped by incredible dialogue. And we've said this before, but it is without a doubt the best localization job that's ever been done in a game. Like, hands down. It's lovely, isn't it? Especially Mr. Drippy, the (laughs) slightly nightmarish lantern-nosed fairy at your side with his Welsh idioms and vernacular bringing just a huge amount of charm to the character. And as somebody who's lived in Wales for almost half of his life, uh, you know, it's not just a caricature. It wasn't going, oh, let's make this person Welsh so that he sounds funny. It felt done with so much love and respect for Welsh culture. And uh, like I said, those sort of Welsh idioms and, and, and all of the eccentricities that go with that. I cried within the first 10 minutes of the game. And yeah, I, yeah. I I believe I was weeping at the end. Like the emotional journeys that are at the heart of Studio Ghibli films are so well crafted but 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 so much of that is down to how well they're paced and 
And that's a very difficult thing to try and translate to a different medium, which is a, a massively different length as well. But that feeling you get watching something as, as beautifully innocent as My Neighbour Totoro, or something as epic as Princess Mononoke, or something just as, as touchingly human as Whisper of the Heart, that feeling is absolutely with you throughout the entire 30-40 hour adventure in Nino Kuni. The other common element with Studio Ghibli, thankfully, is Joe Hisaishi, who's the composer of, of, of some of the most beautiful music in the Studio Ghibli films. And his music here in the game doesn't disappoint. It's gorgeous, epic and sweeping at times. It's beautiful, emotional and delicate when it needs to be. It is just glorious. And there are some particular tracks on the score that they're up there with the best stuff that Matoi Sakuraba has composed, which Ooh. is, you know, as as we all know, a, you know, a huge piece of praise in certainly in the realms of uh, JRPG soundtracks. I mean, there aren't really any downsides to the game because, like, the simplicity that means the game may start to plateau in the later stages of the game. They're also the reasons why it feels so familiar and friendly to keep playing the game and spending time in this world. I am certain that it is one of your favourite games if you get round to playing it, Minty. Like, it, it may not be <laughs> yeah. dripping in the most dense of JRPG mechanics, menus and databases, but its, it's, it's core message uh, and its delightful presentation are, are sure to make your heart fully swell to bursting point with love for it. Like I know you watch me play some of it over my shoulder when you were when you were living with me, and uh, and and no doubt you've got a good flavour of uh, of what the game you know has to offer. But to, to to fully fully experience it firsthand, I, I'm just I'm I'm sure that you're gonna oh, fall in love with it as well. Hmm. I'm gutted that I haven't really had the chance to you know get grabbed by. Nuno Espirito Santo, <laughs> Nino, Nino Cooney 2, despite having several opportunities to do so. I had a good stab at it when I picked it up on the PS4 after I'd finished the first one on the Switch, uh, but I got a little overwhelmed when all like the, the kingdom management mechanics started to be introduced. I then got a fresh burst of enthusiasm for the game when the Switch port of the sequel arrived, but then when I was playing that, I was kind of yearning to play it on a higher resolution on a bigger screen uh, on the PS4, so I picked it up on that and started again, and then <laughs> ran aground when the game got a bit more complex again, but there there are so many things in the game that, that I feel like actually improve on what was in the original. The control system is a lot more immediate, uh, you essentially got like real-time combat which helps maintain the pacing of the adventure a lot better there's another great story teased that i'm you know i'm confident will be as epic and beautiful as the first game and yeah it will it will remain on my to play list uh, until i i do to play it <laughs> maybe maybe <laughs> <laughs> Maybe this is the year that I strap on a set and plunge myself right into it because, I mean, again, it's such an inviting game, and every time I think about it, I wonder why I'm not playing it. So yeah, I'll 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 keep you posted. <laughs> so where is it going in my list? Uh, well, it was very much on on a par with God of War for me when I was considering it, but I couldn't work out which one I would put above the other, and. Well, I've had obviously the opportunity to think about both games quite a bit over the last couple of weeks. And I think I think I'm going to place it just below God of War in my list, L literally like one place below. So it's another game that's doing that buffering between the two Wario games on my list. <laughs> but it, 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 it's, it's very possible that when I finally get around to playing Nino Kuni 2 that I may splodge both games together and have it sit higher. But then we've also got God of War Ragnarok waiting in the wings as well, which could catapult those games higher on my list too. We'll see. But... I know what you're here for. You're here to find out what game is getting dumped, aren't you? What is it? Reveal it. Well, 
I'm taking a bit of a leaf out of your book, Chris, because I'm considering a game that I gave another chance to, and I actually played it when it appeared in my list originally because I thought, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna play through this fresh before I talk about it, and it sort of it it it, it, it niggled at me at the time because it didn't quite hold up to where I'd placed it at number forty-seven in my list. It's high, and yeah, it it led to a rather sheepish episode on my part, which was almost convincing myself that it was a top fifty game. The game's Bastion, uh. which is 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 not a bad game at all. Uh, it, it's it's still it's it's brilliant, but I think the impact it had on me when I first played it was just absolutely not there when I revisited it. And you know, it was it was my first exposure to the sort of hack and slash dungeon crawler type game that I've played much more of and I think better of like uh, Diablo is a game that I'd never really got into until I got Diablo 3 on the Switch or the Death Spank series which again didn't appear on my list but were I love so so good and and so well written and satisfying to play and also just in in Supergiant's own games like Hades is <laughs> it takes everything that was was good about Bastion and concentrates it down and weaponizes it and builds something even better out of it. But yeah, I think when I when I first played Bastion, you know, that was like my gateway to that sort of subgenre of games. And also, I was I, I felt it had a similar vibe to the TV show Firefly, that sort of space western type aesthetic to it, and then the tone in the the music and the narration and everything. So I think yeah, like its quality is wrapped up with that accolade in terms of its value but yeah when it came to revisit it and reappraise it it just didn't quite measure up to my initial verdict so rather than saying it's still in the list but a bit lower it, I'm, it's just gone <laughs> bin it's gone sized yeah. out gone so goodbye bastion hello nino cooney wrath of the white witch or nino espirito santo wrath of the white kit <laughs> which i believe will be the uh, the story of his departure from spurs <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good that's a good joke <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really happy that uh, Nino Cooney has got more representation across our lists. Mm. And, and as you said, Jonathan, I'm, I'm sure, Minty, if you gave it a go, it, it would rank somewhere for you too. <laughs> It'd be O3C approved. It, it would. It, and it deserves the badge. It deserves it. I mean, out of the three of us, who would have thought it was you that would have been the one that, that, that played it and had it on their list? I know. Okay. I mean, my only niggle when you said there's kind of nothing really wrong with it, there, there isn't. I just wanted a few more Ghibli cutscenes. Yeah. Yeah, because obviously, as as the game progresses, that it's kind of the gaps between them gets larger and larger as you're kind of like doing other bits across the overworld and other quests and things like that. And they're just they're such a treat every time they do pop up that I always like. I would get to what I thought was kind of like a punctuation point in the story, and then feel like, oh come on, please, please, it's going to be next. And then when it wasn't there, it was always just like a little sadness to me. But it doesn't take away from from how nice an experience it is overall. A, a lovely game. It's funny because it, it's. Like it's similar to that sort of critical point I, I I brought up last week. How I don't like I feel like putting a putting the controller down is like a marked disconnect with the game. Yeah, but it's that's absolutely not the case in Nino Kuni when you you know the the animation starts and you think I'm in for a f- flipping treat here. Yeah, I don't know why it feels different. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. And I feel like I need to really identify the issue that I've got with those sort of Last of Us type games. I really, I, yeah, I need to, I need to, I need to figure it out. I need to boil it down to a particular argument so that I can um, convince the world. I wonder if part of why Nina Cooney feels okay is because they are a different style. You know, it, it moves away from it being 
uh, like the 3D models, and it's then, mm. you know, a proper animated rendered scene. Yeah. Whereas something like The Last of Us, it's it's meant to kind of keep the immersion that you're essentially seeing the same game models then, you know, act through the, the hands-off cutscene. But perhaps that's part of the problem, that it's almost like your brain needs a proper pause to say, yeah, we're, we're moving something else for five minutes and then you can have the pad back afterwards. Yeah. Whereas when you're playing something like The Last of Us or any games in that kind of ilk, you're constantly feeling like, I could be doing this. Why am I not walking them forwards? <laughs> yeah. Or why am I not hiding behind that and shooting that man? Yeah. It's, it's like the things it takes away from you are things that could just be in the game. So I wonder if there's part of that. It's like the, the rhythm of the cutscenes in Nina Kuni are, are deliberately very different yeah. to how you're going to be pumping around the world. Whereas for something like, you know, the big Sony first party stuff, that's not always the case. Yeah. And the other way around as well, where it's like, why are you making me walk so slowly through this when this could just be a cutscene? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Things to think about. Things to consider. But before we do that, Chris, tell us what you consider to be your next amendment. Okie dokie. Well, similar to you, Minty, I'm going to start by mentioning lockdown in in a strange kind of convergence of fate. Who'd have thought that this that this flash in a pan event would f- frame so much of our lives? <laughs> now, during the first major lockdown, and I'm talking about the one that was three weeks long, before it was six weeks long, before it was three months long, and then just never really ended. But, you know, during that time anyway, there were very few high points during that period for me. And I was at home and I was trying to keep up with work and, and my school at the time. So I was, you know, in the process of pivoting to some early form of online learning for my students. And the difficulty there was despite knowing, you know, I was trying to do my best. I realized that any effort I put in was going to be largely moot because kids were not engaging with it yet. And also I was very aware that I was moving to a different school in the September of that year. So it really kind of made me feel like, why am I putting the effort in? Like they don't want it and and I can't be bothered either. So it was a a really difficult time. At the same time, the relative unknowns of the virus back then meant that I was hyper vigilant of my own family's health. And it seemed like on paper, at least at that time, that the slightest exposure would guarantee transmission. And, you know, living with my parents back then, someone like my mum with her health issues, I was convinced would just surely die if one of my COVID infected shoes crossed the threshold of the house. Mm. So that was really tough. Like it also meant, I've mentioned this before, but it meant that for months I didn't see Georgie in person at all, other than to sit in the garden, sometimes at a distance of like 10 metres, trying to talk over the spring breeze. But there's always, you've got to find the high points in anything. And One genuine high point was rescuing a local lost cat called Billy, who (laughs) I tracked around the neighbourhood for weeks, like literal weeks. And and I set up a trap in the garden to catch her with the aid of the local pet rescue charity. And then when she started attending the garden, I knew it was her. I'd I'd feed her every day at a distance. And then I saw her, you know, try and get a bit more comfortable with me and my presence. And I'd sit in the garden and I'd I'd mew when she was near to try and build up what I believed was some sort of communicative (laughs) relationship. And then after about four weeks, I managed to lure her into the trap, quickly close the door, you know, gently down. And and I'd done it. Like looking back at the time I dedicated to that venture, it all felt quite mad. <laughs> you know, like hours of my day, every single day for about a month. But there was a great payoff in reuniting Billy with her owner. And I'd been working towards that endpoint for so long. And it, it felt like a game almost. You know, I'd, I'd won. That was the credit. So I'd, I'd kind of got to the end of something. The other high point was burning stuff. <laughs> now, mum and dad have quite a large garden throughout the winter and early spring that had led up to, you know, the COVID lockdown. They'd managed to generate quite a lot of garden waste. And a usual Sunday for dad pre-COVID 
would have involved popping to the local tip to dump big bags of, of tree bits and scrub and whatever else into the big pneumatic bins. But in lieu of the lockdown, the tip was not in operation. So dad decided at some point, night by night, he was just going to burn all of the garden waste in this little metal bin he had. And lockdown became about ritual for me and almost everyone else that I'd do schoolwork in the morning. I'd play Animal Crossing for about lunchtime. I'd have a long walk and have a phone call with Georgia just before tea. I'd chase Billy around the neighborhood after my din-dins. And then in the evening, it was bonfire time for days and days and days. And in a few weeks that felt both incredibly short and incredibly long, because time at that period was quite elastic, Dad and I burnt through about 50 bags of garden waste, like four or five a night. And there was something about that event, just fire is really mesmeric, truly. And and as much as I could have done without all of my clothes and hair smelling like I was an arsonist for the next calendar month, these evenings helped a lot to cap off each weird day. It was like the full stop at the end. You know, watching the strange pattern of fire and its movement, you know, similar to water, it's, it's very organic and it's so easy to be transfixed by the little dance of the flames that there was something about the way that the pile of bags would slowly reduce that similar to chasing Billy around, it felt gamified in some way. Like if, if chasing a cat around was building a relationship in, in being gamey in that sense, you know, constructing and developing something, the bonfires were, were gamey in reverse because it was like ticking things off a list. We were just blasting through this big stack of bags until there were no bags left to stack. Now, a real video game that ties all of these stories together is Little Inferno. Oh, yeah. And it is a small indie title created by the team behind the early independent darling World of Goo. And I played Little Inferno first on the Wii U when the paucity of options both at retail and via the eShop meant that I would give anything a go. (laughs) And then years on, I played it again on the Switch and I loved it even more. And I found it to be such a, a wonderful combination of developing and deconstructing in most equal measure that it just had that flash of lockdown for me to think about it now in in kind of hindsight. Now, for the uninitiated, Little Inferno takes place almost exclusively in front of a fireplace. And you order things from a catalogue, you burn them in the fire, burnt items generate coins, which you can then use to buy more things from the catalogue. And it takes quite a lot of elements from idle games, like it has wait timers that we'd associate normally with mobile games, but it subverts how all this stuff is used by making everything feel so deliberately pointless because the items in the game don't do anything. Like some of them might burn in slightly different ways. Some of them might burn quickly or or slower. Some of them might make a funny noise when you chuck it in the fire, but they don't grant you anything. So it's just buy and then burn and then buy and then burn and then buy and then burn. And that's the main gameplay loop really. But it's it's not, is it? Like it's it's not the whole game, but... It is? (laughs) I mean, you you can make combinations. I'll give it that. So there's a puzzle layer to it. And you have kind of within your catalogue these cryptic clues like movie night or airplane mode. And it asks you to consider what is getting torched concurrently, essentially. So it, it adds just a simple hint of strategy to the way you might purchase and then indiscriminately burn. So as an example, to unlock movie night, for example, you'll be chucking in ears of corn and a television. So to make popcorn and, you know, you've got something on the TV. Or for airplane mode, you throw in a handful of electronic devices you'd normally be asked to turn off during a flight. So a tablet, a cell phone, stuff like that. Now, I loved all of that, but Little Inferno doesn't make the list because of its core gameplay or puzzles or anything like that for me. I know that it was never developed as one, but it was such a lockdown game. And I'll, I'll try and explain that thinking. Like, 
The endless churn of catalogue purchases in Little Inferno perfectly mimicked the thousand Amazon parcels every residential street was receiving daily during that time. Yeah. The way your correspondence with all the recurring characters in Little Inferno in the game, they take place via letter. And it felt like it was referencing like that awkward transition to communicating via alternative means that everyone was enduring. And it has this really strange, solemn atmosphere to the whole thing that persists. And it feels like it, it was almost like that way. We had exceedingly nice weather during that lockdown. But no one felt like that internally. You know, it was a sort of inverse pathetic fallacy. <laughs> and yet, of course, Little Inferno launched in 2012. So all this pontification is, is ultimately meaningless. <laughs> but <laughs> with the way we play games, it, it's not though, is it? Because even when it first released, there was still value to Little Inferno in, in how it was trying to tell a story. Because it was still a critique of capitalism. It was still an acknowledgement of the weirdly healing and purging power of fire that I mentioned, like with dad's bonfire. It was still a conversation about what's truly important in life, because despite how much we may enjoy stuff, and I personally fucking love stuff, mm-hmm. we also need connection. You know, it used trends of mobile gaming as the driver for these messages. And it's just a really effective piece of maybe not storytelling per se, but loose allegory or societal discourse. I, I don't really know what you'd you'd phrase it as. But when I played the game on the Wii U for the first time, and this is back in you know 2012 when it launched, I wrote a really waffling piece about the experience on my then website that closed with the lines, and I'll, I'll just read them out for context. When your pen pal finally announces their location by thumping on the wall that you are told separates your houses, allow yourself to feel startled yet comforted by the presence of a narrative voice which has acknowledged both you and your pyromaniacal addiction. They're right behind you. You heard them. You're not alone. And something about that feeling, it wasn't enough to make the list the first time around. And yet thinking about it now, almost 10 years on, having played the game again at that lowest human ebb we all felt in 2020, I found it really affecting. And it's it's a piece of media that could not exist in any other medium. Like this doesn't work as a TV show. It doesn't work as a book. It has to be something interactive. And I really do implore everyone to give it a go. If anyone has not played Little Inferno, it's not that expensive. It's not that long. But I, I think particularly in the light of the last few years, it's something really special. So for me, it somehow represents Billy the Cat and Dad and the Bonfire and a world in lockdown. So that's that's Little Inferno. I mean, regarding my list, I'm going to make it easy this week. <laughs> Deus Ex is going. Little Inferno is going to enter. And I'm going to stick it around number 90 for now. Aww. Deus Ex is going to get the chop because I think it represents something wider about how my tastes have changed these days in that my memory of Deus Ex is laser focused on the tutorial mission and the first hour or so of the game from then everything beyond the parts at the start it's like a relative blur and I know it's good I know it refined the immersive sim I know it spawned a series that's been consistently well received and I know that a game that I loved last year The Outer Worlds owes a debt of lineage to it as well but the fact that there are so many games in that mold now that I'm rarely inspired to play tells me that the spot deserves to go to something wholly its own, like Little Inferno, because I'm I'm pretty confident in saying it's the best and probably only narrative-driven fireplace simulator ever likely to be made. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, give it a go. Give it a go. Fantastic. Yeah, wonderful little game. I played it... Uh, well, I played through it before and and really really enjoyed it, but uh, again, not for yeah, not for a really really long time. So yeah, I may give it may give it a whirl and uh, see how it holds up with that uh, added added lockdown perspective. 
So there we have it, another incredible and eclectic selection of games that we can now say rank in our top 100 favourite games of all time lists. First of all, we had Stardew Valley. Then we had Nino Kuni Wrath of the White Witch. And finally, Little Inferno. If you enjoyed this episode or any of our episodes, do please reach out to us on social media. We are at O3C Games on nearly everything. And do please check out our website, O3C.Games. Have a read of our articles and point some people in the direction of them if you want to be eligible for our forthcoming prize draw. Follow us on Twitter uh, if you want to be included in that. It's, I mean, it's very exciting for everybody. And you can also take us to task individually challenge our opinions ask us questions you might like us to discuss in a future episode tell us what you're playing i am on twitter at jonathan dunn at Chaz underscore hodges and uh, me clement underscore boo and please do join us next week for another three games making it into our glorious lists and now a word from our sponsor Need some adventure in your life? What Mad Universe is a podcast where two guys delve into the history of sci-fi, fantasy, and horror, and the impact it's had on pop culture. Everything's the same politically, but we have ray guns. The the actual motive isn't to explore something that's, quote, yeah. scientifically possible. Or... But neither is Star Wars, and I know there's arguments about that, but I would definitely consider Star Wars science fiction. You haven't it's... read Dune! You have... No, I haven't. You can never be the Kwisatz Haderach. What Mad Universe on the HyperX Podcast Network. Previously on Chat of the Wild. But what we have to do is there are these seeds in these little holes that we have to put specific water on mm-hmm. to make them grow up. And we get the Mario uh, sound effect for the vines going up. Yes. Like it's what, what exactly is the sound effect for Mario that they use? <laughs> Can you guys just do that simultaneously again? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Chat of the Wild. Breaking down Zelda and Zelda-like games, one dungeon at a time. Wednesdays on the HyperX Podcast Network. The O3C Podcast is part of the HyperX Podcast Network. HyperX is our sponsor and the maker of the acclaimed Quadcast and Quadcast S microphones. Quadcast USB mics look and sound amazing, and they're packed with features. With four selectable polar patterns, you'll get great sound no matter what you're recording. The included shock mount and pop filter mean you won't have to shell out extra cash for a great setup. Then there's the eye-catching LED indicator and tap-to-mute sensor, so you can tap in and tap out to stop broadcast accidents. It's time for you to tap in with the HyperX Quadcast and Quadcast S.